0: If you would open your Bibles to Proverbs 31, which has been our home, our resting place for this time, then I want to look at the fact that we can be queen of our world in the sense of sharing all the good things that the fear of the Lord is doing in our lives, the person that he is making us, and share it with people that are struggling because they're on their own. I don't know about you, but when I was raising my children, I always wondered how people did it without the Lord. I just wondered, what would you do if if you didn't know where to go, where to run to? And to sense the Lord saying, hey, you should have come sooner. Just the consciousness that he's on your side, that he's not against you, and where do other people run? Well, they have each other if they have a good marriage or a marriage at all. They've got husband and wife pulling together but he's not always there. And I always wondered, what do people do when they need a word of wisdom? When the teenager's dancing up and down saying, I've got to go, I've got to go, and you've got to decide whether she's got to go or got to stay, and there's no one to ask, and, and, and the phone is inadequate, whatever friend is on the end of it. What a wonderful thing it is when a queen of his heart finds out that he has a heart for the thing she has a heart for, her children her family. But along with that goes the sense that whatever we sense the Lord wants, if we have his heart, then we have his heart for the world, not just for our own family. The Christian family has no right to build walls around it. We should be an environment where evangelism happens. We should be the place that people know they can move in and out of. To see an example, to hear a word from him, a place of refuge, a place to come, a place to watch, And all that is so high, isn't it, when we're struggling to be the family that God wants us to be. But the heart of the matter is what is the matter with our heart. And in a sense, when we've had that heart transplant, when God has given us his heart, it begins to beat for the world that doesn't know him, for the world that's nowhere to run to, the world that's nowhere to go. I always think of those wonderful verses in Ezekiel where God is talking about the hard heart of the human race, And how he will take the stony heart out of us. This is his new promise, his new covenant that will happen one day. And of course we have that in the New Testament, the new covenant, don't we? And the new promise was that Jesus would come and on an operating table the shape of a cross, God would lift the heart of his son and offer that heart to the world. So that as we receive Christ, we receive his heart. It's that transplant And yet, he takes the stony heart out of us and gives us a heart that beats, a heart that cares. You know, the Christian family has to care more about other families than a family that isn't Christian. It just doesn't make sense that a Christian mother would not care more about non-Christian mothers than non-Christian mothers would care. There has to be a widening circle, there has to be something beyond the shores of your own specific family if you count yourself Christian and as we look at this Proverbs 31 lady there is no question about it she was out and about in her world faithful instruction was on her tongue and the import of that is that she had a message and she had an insistence on sharing it that as she was out and about in the world of work or she was working outside the home as well as in the home. She was super conscious of the needs of other people and she opened her arms to the poor. Now there are poor little rich people, there are poor little poor people, there are the poorest of the poor. And we're not quite sure who the poor was that she was busy opening her arms to. She opened her arms to the poor, it's a beautiful picture. She had a heart for the poor. She wasn't just giving a nickel to the United Fund and that was it, she was involved with the poor. The people who had a poor marriage, the people that had poor mothering skills, the people that had poor self images, she was just opening her arms to the poor. So let's look at this lady who had a healed heart because she was in touch with God and then in touch with her world. And in verses 13 to 19, we get a fascinating picture of the role of the lady of the house in the ancient world. And the role of the rich, and this lady was rich, that we are reading about here, her role was planning and trading and spinning and providing. She had a heart for the merchants in the marketplace. She was competent. She was confident. Now I want to just look at a few verses to see how she looked after herself while she did this and then to see what she did. So verse 13, she seeks out wool and flax and works with willing hands to develop it. She is diligent. She is willing. She seeks out wool and flax and works with willing hands to develop it. The work that she's engaged in, the things that she does, she has a good spirit about her. And you know, there are two ways to get involved in contributing to the family. If some of us have part-time jobs or are working from our home or we're working a day a week or whatever it is, and as our children grow, we're going to get involved perhaps more in the working world. It's very important that your spirit and your attitude is right. And you're not doing these things because you have to and you can't make ends meet, or you've got a greed need and you've got to go back to work to do it. There is a sense of holy calling that God has ordered and ordained your life to fit into it some sort of contact with the marketplace. And it's very important that your attitude is a willing attitude. I remember when we were raising our kids and my daughter specifically did not want to help and she would arrive at my side like a young tornado because I told her to come and help. And many times I'd take one look at her face and say, get out of here, I don't want you to help. Well, you just call me to help. I'd rather do it myself. If that's your attitude, you know what I mean? You look at this angry, sullen face and you say, I can do without it. And so, you know, as a parent, how a little willing, happy, helpful face just changes your parent's heart. How wonderful. And I was looking after the grandkids and I was trying to get those little tiny bullion cubes, the paper off them. And they'd been sitting in the damp and it was all stuck to the bullion cube. I don't know if you've ever had this incredible experience, but. I was late and I needed to get this dinner done and these wretched bullion cubes and everybody was saying, I'm hungry, Nana. And, you know, adults were coming in the door. And, and, and Michael said, what are you doing, Nana? And I said, I can't get the paper off this. And, and he said, give it to me. And he stood there and bless his heart, he picked off all that paper from about five bullion cubes and threw it in the soup. And I thought, that is Michael. He is such a willing child. And I wonder if God looks down and says, what a good attitude. Yes, you might be overloaded. Yes, this might be something that you don't particularly want to do, but have to do for the sake of your family at the moment. Attitude matters so much. She seeks out the wool and flax, and she works with willing hands, a willing spirit to develop it. So her attitude's good. You know, in the Old Testament, there was one thing that got to God, and it was the attitude of those people traipsing through the desert. They just complained all the time, moaned all the time. And it wasn't that he kept mentioning their sin, and I'm sure they were sinning. He just kept saying, when will they quit complaining? It's their complaining that's coming up before my ears. It's their muttering and their murmuring. And you know, if we have a complaining spirit, we won't have any joy. We won't have any joy, and that's very bad for your home and for your marriage and for your mothering and for your world. A Christian without joy is a liability to the Christian church. I really believe it. And so we need that willing spirit. I remember Pete coming into the house one day. I had just waxed the floor. It was in the days before they locked in the wax in the floor and you didn't have to do that stuff anymore. And I had just waxed the floor and he was into size 14 feet at the time. And the dog's bowl was on the floor full of water and he put his foot right in that bowl And all the water went over that newly waxed floor. And if if I wasn't a Christian, I would have sworn. But when you're a Christian, what do you say? Have you ever wondered about that? (laughs) You need something, don't you? So because I couldn't swear and because I didn't know what to say, I was, I was, he said, whining. (laughs) And he just said, Mother, stop whining. Just thank God I've got big feet. I said, why would I thank God for that? And he said, well, I could have no feet. And off he went and left me to mop the floor up, I remember. But, you know, it's this complaining, mumbling, muttering spirit that God does not like and nor does the world. And they look at us if we are grudgingly doing what we have to do out there. And they say, well, what's the difference? Why should I become a Christian if it makes you as miserable as that? So, she seeks out wool and flax, works with willing hands to develop it, verse 13, verse 15, she rises while it is yet night, gets spiritual food for her household, and assigns her maids their tools. I am reading from the Amplified Bible, which amplifies everything, that's what it's about. And so, if you don't know the Hebrew, the Amplified will give it you. And what the Amplified does is get to the meeting and give it you in English, and that's The meaning behind this, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Yes, physical food, obviously. But the import of the word, apparently, is spiritual food, which changes the verse. She rises while it is yet night and gets spiritual food for her household. Where is she getting it from? She is not going to a store to buy it. She is going to God. You know, often people ask me what my life's verse is. In fact, they're asking me more and more, which makes me wonder if they think I'm going to pop off in a minute. That means die. When I'm tired, I get English. (laughs) But saying I'm asked all the time, in fact, I was asked on three radio programs last last week, if they don't say, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? (laughs) Which is the same thing. Or what is your life's verse? I feel as if it's, you know, getting ready for the funeral here. But my life's verse, I would say, if there are any life's verses, would be in the book of Isaiah chapter 50. And it's talking about Jesus being the perfect servant. And of course we are to serve as he served. And it says this, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I haven't been rebellious. They're wonderful words, and I've thought and meditated upon them many, many, many times. He's given me the tongue of a teacher. He's given me the skill of a counselor. He's given me the ear of a disciple. He's given me an obedient heart. It's all there. But how is this going to happen? Where do you go to get the spiritual food for your household? Not only your own family, but the wider household that this lady had. And remember the context here. This lady was out and about in the working world, but she also had a huge extended family, probably a house enough to, to hold 30, 40, 50 people. And they were all servants and relatives and people. And she was managing that household. Now in the New Testament, Paul talks about women managing their households. This is something that women are to do, to manage the people that you have influence over and responsibility for. And so she was being a good manager of her household. And God gave her the tongue of a teacher, the skill of a counselor, the ear of a disciple and an obedient heart. And it's all here. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue, the tongue of a teacher. She opened her mouth with kindness. Faithful instruction was in her tongue. To know the word that sustains the weary. A word in season for him that is weary, the King James says. I like that. The skill of a counselor. To match... The resource with the need to match the resource with the need. What is witnessing out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yes, witnessing is the four spiritual laws. Witnessing is: Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that you can't get to heaven? Do you know Jesus died for you? Do you know how to accept Him? Let me help you. How? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, if you've been to get the spiritual food for your household, you have no idea what God is going to tell you that day. But I can reckon this that before the day is out, somebody will be fed. And the abundance of the heart is what comes out. Speak and I shall see thee, said the ancient divine, not hear thee. So what comes in is what comes out. Garbage in, garbage out, also spiritual food in, spiritual food out. And she rises while it is dark. Sometimes most of us have to do that. And it's very, very hard to get up before everything else happens when you've got small children. Tell me about it. I used to have this wonderful talk on the quiet time till I had kids. And I threw it out the window <laughs> until they grew up. And I had to find my time with God, not rising while it was yet night but snatching the moment, being disciplined enough to see a little moment of time open up, I wasn't expecting and stop doing what I was doing, however urgent it was, if it could be stopped and learn the art of leaving something undone, that the greater thing be done. Learn the art of leaving the thing undone, that the greater thing be done as the opportunity comes. Her opportunity apparently was before she was out and about in the world. And so she got up. The tongue of a teacher, the skill of a counselor. The ear of the disciple, the ear of the disciple. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. Aren't these wonderful words? And you know what I wrote in my Bible, my devotional Bible? I have a Bible I just use to talk to God and let him talk to me. That's it. It's not a study Bible. It's, it's a Bible. And I answer what the text is saying to me, what God is saying through the text. And when he said these things to me, this is the sort of servant I want you to be, like the servant my son was, Jill, and this is what I want you to do. I wrote in my devotional Bible, get up and listen to him so I can go out and listen to them. Get up and listen to me so you can go out and listen to them. And that's why, I guess, that's one of my favorite passages of scripture. The ear of the disciple and an obedient heart. I was not rebellious, I did not draw back. I had a willing spirit. I said, here's the day, let's go for it. This is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. So this lady rises while it is yet night, gets spiritual food for her household and assigns her maids their tools. And if you have opportunity to be butting up against non-believers, and many of you do, Some of us have to work harder at it to make sure that we are in a healthy situation. And a healthy situation is where you are not isolated from the world. And never get isolation and separation mixed up. God says we must be separate from sin, not the sinner. And some of the Christian church has decided that separation means isolation. How will they ever know? How will they ever hear? People need the Lord. How will they ever know they need the Lord? Why aren't they hearing? You know, why aren't people coming to Christ? Because Christians aren't anywhere around. Well, where were they? They're running to Bible studies and they're doing all the things that we need to do, but they're not sharing the Lord. They don't have a heart for the people around them, for their neighbors, etc., etc. And we must do that if we're to be queen of our world. So the attitude's gotta be right. We've got to be getting the spiritual food from God to share whatever it is to the non-believer or to encourage the believer. And then we have to be prudent and I love verse 16 in the Amplified. Let me read it to you. She considers a new field before she buys or accepts it, expanding prudently and not counting neglect of her present duties by assuming others. That has been a very helpful verse to me. Let me read it again. She considers a new field before she buys or accepts it. She considers it, and the word is, she thinks really hard before she takes anything new on. Expanding prudently and not counting neglect of her present duties by assuming others. With her savings of time and strength, she plants fruitful vines in her vineyard. So here's this lady sorting out her priorities, considering this is a new opportunity. Now, will I be neglecting if I say yes to this, I'm gonna say no to something else. What am I gonna say no to? And she's sorting out her priorities at the stage she's at. And all of you young women, my heart goes out to you because that's just where you're at and it's gonna get harder, it's not going to get easier. And at this situation, you, you are going to be offered all sorts of opportunities. Do I stay home? Do I homeschool? Do I go out into the working world? If I do, how much time do I go out there? Do I go for a day, a second day, a third day? When do I up it? Or do I have a home business? And if I have a home business, how am I gonna cope? Am I considering what this means, counting neglect of my present duties by assuming others? but with the savings of time and strength by saying no to some of the things I'm doing, by reprioritizing, I may be able to plant a fruitful vine in my vineyard and therefore provide, therefore put something into the family that perhaps we need very much. We need to look at college. We need to let me get back involved. Well, if I do, who has got to lower their expectations of me in the home? You cannot take on one more thing. I do not believe most of you without somebody taking on something for you. Don't just assume one more hat without considering it and without talking it over with your family. I remember Mary Steinke giving this illustration as her five children were growing and she realized that college was coming up for five kids and she was married to a football coach and they didn't make enough to help. And she decided, and they decided, she and her husband, that she would take some real estate exams and learn a new skill. She I don't think she I don't even know if she'd finished college. Now, she might have done, but I don't think so. Got married very young. And so here is Mary getting into real estate. And Brian draws the family around the table and he says, now we have decided for the good of the family that you're all just in your teenage years. In fact, one of them wasn't even a teenager. Mom's going to go back to work. We think that she can get these exams work during your school hours. We don't know. It might go into the night time. We don't know what's ahead. We don't know what it will mean, but we think this is what we should do. Now then I want you to go around the family and all of you tell mom what you can take off her so that she can do this work for us." And they all went around and thought of something they could do. And the one who would just learned to drive said, "'Well, I could pick up the younger one from school "'on Tuesdays and thirties like you used to do, mom, "'and give you that time.'" And another one said, "'Well, I could step up my Saturday duties "'cause I can't drive.'" And another one said, well, I could take that Saturday thing that you always do. I could do the shopping on a Saturday morning, mom. That was a little girl. I can do that for you because you always go out and do the big shopping. And uh, I could do that. And it came to Brian and he said, and I will lower my expectations of you in the home. Isn't that wonderful? I will lower my expect. I cannot expect you to take this huge thing on without somehow lowering my expectations. In fact, I was talking to a couple not too long ago who were not doing very well since the woman had gone back to work and it was a necessity situation. It was a pastor and wife situation. And she had just had to go and it wasn't working out. There was a lot of tension. There was a lot of problem that was coming. And very wisely, they started to cancel before it got to a proportion that was really putting a strain on their marriage. And he said, I don't understand why there's a problem because I am absolutely in support of her doing this. And I said to him, have you lowered your expectation of her since she went back to work? And he said, what do you mean? I said, is she still doing everything that she used to do before she took on one more thing? And he said, yes. So I said, well, I think that could very easily redress what's happening here. And so, you have to take into all consideration those things before you take on one more thing. doesn't mean it's wrong to take on one more thing. I don't know whether it's wrong. Only God knows. The stage you're at, the season of your life, your money situation. Learn to consider before you overload. Okay? I often use the little illustration of the boat. We're all like little boats and we have a water line around us. It's called the plimsoll line. And the maker of the boat puts that line around our lives because he made you and he knows what you can carry, what burden you can carry. Now then, you're going to get loaded and you should be loaded. That's what boats are for. But you're not supposed to be overloaded and you're not supposed to be less than level (laughs) or you'll feel unfulfilled. If you have no burdens, you'll feel unfulfilled. You are made to carry responsibilities and things for God and for your family and for your world. So the secret is, Lord, what burden have you asked me to bear? Not what burden are they asked me to bear or if these people are putting on me or I'm putting on myself. It depends what sort of a person you are. You know, other people overload me. People call up and say, God has told us that you should write this book for us. Who uh, am I to say God has or God hasn't? Yes, yes, I, I'm a yes, yes person. And I still have to stand in front of the mirror and say, no, before I go out into the day. And then I never say it again till the next morning sometimes. <laughs> and so I overload. And I sink without trace. I remember signing three or four book contracts, simply because of pressure from publishers. I've never submitted a manuscript in my life. People just put that pressure on you. We want one book, we want this, we want that, we want the other. And yes, 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 yes. And I got these four contracts thinking that I could I could do it. Somehow I could do it. And my husband observed that he hadn't had a clean shirt for about a month and <laughs> I was sinking without trace and he I was zooming through to do something rather other and he stopped me and he said, Jill, what is happening? You're spinning. You're spinning again. You've overloaded. And I said, Well, I took on all these book contracts and he said, Well come and let me see and he inspected my boat. And that's what my husband's for. And that's what your husband's for. And he went around with a pencil and a paper. And he said, look at this cargo of books. When did you take these on? This poor little boat. And all that was left was a little white flag at this point. (laughs) And I said, well, I took this on because so-and-so. And and they said that I could do this in between. And and they said if I just gave them my prayer diary, they'd have this devotional book called Wings. And and, and I wouldn't even notice I was writing it. And and these people said so-and-so. So I just signed all these contracts And he said, well, let's look at them. And he started to look at them, and he said, well, this is a terrific opportunity. You have to do this, Jill. This is great. And this, I think you can probably do. How far are you? Halfway, good. This one, well, that's a challenge. We are going to have to help you. We're going to have to take something off you. We'll talk to the family about that, how we can help you with that. And these two, and he struck them out. And he offloaded my boat. Well, I panicked at that point. I'd signed a contract. I could have gone to jail, started a prison ministry, you know, (laughs) And I started to say, would you visit me in jail? And Stuart said, no, just calm down. (laughs) This is not the way. But he offloaded my boat. He said, I'll get you out of it. I'll write the letter. I'll get on the phone. I'll just explain what happened. And so that's what we have to do. We have to consider before we overload. That's what the Queen of Hearts does. She expands prudently. She does expand, notice. But she does it prudently. What sort of a boat are you? Are you a great big cargo ship? are you a battleship are you a submarine that does all its work out of sight are you a little skiff one of the things that really helps i don't know whether this queen of hearts had any friends but it really helps to have a close group of friends it really does and a friend is honest a friend will say you are overloading or a friend can have input in your life and just give you that opportunity to let off steam i have many friends and they have different functions that god has given them for me in my life and I do have one friend who is the one who makes me laugh. And when I get wound up tighter than a drum, which I do consistently, Stuart says, why don't you go out to lunch with, with, let's call her Jen. So I call up Jen, I said, I need need a lunch, I need a lunch. Oh, yes, yes. Now, Jen's job in life is to make me laugh, she says. She doesn't do anything else. (laughs) And so we go and have lunch and she has me rolling around the floor. She really does. And I am screaming and everybody is looking at us and we are having the best time and I am thoroughly unwound and relaxed and I give her a hug. And she goes back to bed for the day (laughs) or for the week. She's done. (laughs) I mean, that's what she's made to carry. Do you see what I mean? She is light. She is airy. She's a gorgeous little skiff. She's absolutely beautiful. I remember saying to her not too long ago, I just love looking at you. do me good just to look at you. God has put you together. Your eyes are so blue. Oh, Jill, she said. Oh, Jill, they must be for you because I can't see them. <laughs> right. And I look at that beautiful flower and I thank God. I say, wow, God, you're something. you make people so beautiful as this. And then she makes me laugh. And then, as I say, that was the burden that God asked her to carry. And so I would not expect my little friend, who is a little skiff, to take any load off me in other sense. I wouldn't expect her to work for me or to take a burden or to do this or to do that. I'd drown her. She takes the steam. She takes the edge off for me. And so friends are a huge, huge help. Know your limits. Be realistic. That's the thing. Gird yourself with strength mentally psychologically for your task for your god-given task she girds herself with strength now i love king james here i really love it she girdeth up her loins (laughs) have you ever had limp loins (laughs) i have this picture in my mind (laughs) of somebody with limp loins and i don't really know what that means but it gives me a, a real impression And she girdles up her loins and she strengthens her arms. I mean, you have this pumping iron stuff in mind here. She is one Atlas lady. And I mean, she really is. She's keeping herself fit. And this is a very, very obvious point, but it's here in Proverbs 31. There is absolutely no way that we can be queen of our children's heart, queen of our husband's heart, queen of our church, queen of our world, you know, queen of the poor. We can't do any of this unless we care for ourselves. We care for ourselves. I didn't say pamper yourself. I said care for yourself. And one of those things involves being physically fit, knowing your limits, shaping up. Read Dale Henson Bork's book on doing less without sleep. She has a theory that we all have too much sleep. I don't know if she knows who I am or you are. <laughs> but that book is very very helpful for me. It's on sleep deprivation and she really knows what she's talking about. Very good book. But this lady is rising while it's night. How does she do it? Well, she does it because she obviously has the stamina to do it. And again, know your limits. Some of you have an engine in your boat that can just power you through all sorts of troubled waters and all the rest of it. And some of you just have a little tiny outboard thing, and maybe some of you just have oars, I don't know. (laughs) But (laughs) I tell you, know your limits and know what equipment you have on your boat. And if you've got oars, just keep them going and look after them, okay? And keep the engine oiled, whether it's a big engine or a little one, it doesn't matter. Keep physically fit, emotionally fit. If you're a basket case, you're not gonna have too many people putting stuff in your basket, that's for sure. And so you've got to keep yourself fit. As this happens, you will be ready to get out into the world and you'll be ready to open your mouth. The law of kindness will be there and the faithful instruction on your tongue and the working world will be your parish. I told the women last night, I I envy them in a sense because every day they have a captive audience if they are working somewhere. Every day. And whether they are allowed to say anything or not, whether they're a Christian teacher in a non-Christian school, for example, secular school setting, and where they are not in a sense permitted to abuse their teaching privilege. Whether they are there, whether they're in a hospital and the same thing pertains with the patients, or whether they are in an office and they are not paid to evangelize the entire complex. (laughs) They are paid to do a proper day's work and to do it in an excellent fashion or not. You are a sermon. You might be the only Bible anybody ever reads. And what an opportunity you have to just get to work. And through the night of sorrow, somebody else's night of sorrow, you're there. And you have made such an impression that somebody has made a mental note. If I was ever in trouble, that's who I go to. She's such an attitude. Where'd she get that attitude from? That willing spirit, that joy. Um, I'm going to pick up the phone to her. I'm going to ask her out to coffee. I'm I'm going to just stop by her desk. It is an incredible privilege to have the parish pulpit. Your life is a living pulpit out of which Christ wants to address the crowd on your shore. Like Peter's boat, remember? Jesus got into the boat and that boat became the living pulpit and Jesus spoke to the people on the shore. Think of your life as that boat. We're back to the boat image. And who's in it? Christ. And what does he want to do? Well, he wants to talk to those people that sit at the next desk or that you're selling Mary Kay to or whatever it is you're doing. He has a heart for them. And he wants you to have a heart for them as well. So as you get out and about, expect God to use you. There isn't a question about it. This Proverbs 31 lady was expecting to have a word with that merchant whose marriage was in trouble. Well, I know he's really troubled. I know his, his wife's giving him a hard time, etc., etc., Or even the other way around. In and, and, and her culture, it probably was the other way around because there was no such thing as a way for a woman to divorce a man. I'm going to really take on, I'm going to confront this man. I couldn't believe the way he treated his wife in front of people. And uh, I'm, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to talk to him about that. Does God, do you think God really wants you to treat your wife like that? Maybe that's what I'll say because she had gathered something from her storehouse in the morning and it was for this person in her mind or it was for somebody she didn't even know. And so as you're doing all this, you're keeping an eye on your home, it says. While she was out and about taking on all these extra things, while she was evangelizing, while she was making the gospel clear to people, she was keeping an eye, verse 27, on her household. And the import of that verse is she was carefully watching if the children were suffering. And incidentally, as you try and put your home responsibilities, your church responsibilities, your work responsibilities, and the responsibility you have to yourself to care for yourself together, as you try to put it all together, just keep an eye on the kids. Kids are great thermometers of how you're doing. Kids are great thermometers. And if they start to show abnormal signs abnormal signs of the strain of what you're doing of the overload perhaps and you need to just sit down with your husband and fathom it all out and clear out and start again and reprioritize watch your children they'll tell you i i always remember Stuart saying as we were in a pressure cooker situation with him on the road all the time he said jill you have to keep an eye on your household you have to tell me if you see abnormal signs and if we do if we see the children beginning to react to the abnormal lifestyle that we're living, with me on the road all the time, we will make a change. But I have to rely on you because when I'm home, they they behave in a totally different way. And I don't see what you see when you're trying to be mom and dad. And so it was hard for me to tell him. I didn't want him to be disappointed in me. I wanted to be the mom and dad that I was called to be in that very, very difficult, strained time in, in our lives and marriage and our family. And yet I knew that I had to keep an eye on it. And I remember the day that I heard a little sound in the night and I got up as your mother' ear is attuned to every sound. In fact, the day my last child went to college, Stuart nearly got the ambulance because he couldn't wake me up. <laughs> the First time I'd slept in 19 years or whatever it is because you never, you know, you're tuned. And especially when your teenagers are coming in from a date. you're you're waiting for that click and then you'll go to sleep even though you might be asleep anyway. It's incredible. And uh, you really have to wait until they've all gone before you can have another sleep. Sorry about that, but that's how it is. I remember being tuned to this specifically because I was the only parent in the house and so I always slept light and and hearing this sound thinking somebody downstairs and going down to investigate and finding Judy standing in the middle of the room with a book in her hand, her eyes wide open but she was asleep and she was sleepwalking. And I talked to her and she answered me and I said, come on, we're going back to bed, darling. And I took her and, yes, mommy. And she obediently went up the stairs. She was fast asleep, didn't stumble, into her bed, shut her eyes. And I told her to go back to sleep and she did. And she began to sleepwalk the day Stuart left and she would stop the day he came back. That's abnormal, that's abnormal. Dave failed an exam he should have passed. Very important one. In England, if you fail your 11 plus, you can't go to college. At 11, that decision is made. Or it used to be, it isn't the same anymore. And he failed it. That was abnormal. He should have passed it. He was one of the top in his class. So as I began to see these signs, then I had to say to my husband, we have to change something. I was keeping an eye on the kids. Great little thermometers and they were the temperature was right up there and we had to bring it down. And really, that's the reason we came here. That was the top reason God gave us permission to put our children first at that point. Lord, what is first? Ministry, family. What is first? Family. And we were obedient to the priority he dictated at that particular time. And we began to pray, God, is there some sense of place of ministry that we could be and be a family. Is this in your mind? And that week, on that trip, the next week, I called Stuart and told him what was happening. He came to Elmbrook Church. And at the end of that week, the pastor resigned. And the elders came to him and said, we knew as soon as we saw you, you would be our next pastor. And so I wasn't really surprised when Stuart called me in the middle of that American trip and said, Jill, this looks as though God is saying yes. I'm going to put you in another context where you can have some family life. So you keep an eye on your household. And I don't know how many missionary families that we have canceled, that we have canceled this way. As long as things are fine, go for it. But when you see abnormal signs with your children, and I said to Stuart, we could lose our kids. For God, if we go on like this. And then what would we have to say to the world? And so you make the move, you readjust, you move. We did 3,000 miles, we left our homeland, we left our country, we left our parents, we left everything that we love and that we are because that was the thing we needed to do to make sure that the children were cared for. So, choose a job if possible that gives you the ability to be with your kids when they need you. Try not to give them your children's time. Try not to give the marketplace your children's time. Try to give them time that is out of that circle. I mean, we were living on a poverty level at Cape and Ray. And I could have gone back full time to teach at that point. But I was the only parent at home. And I didn't want to do that if there was a way around it. I had to do two things. Decide to live at the level we were at or a little above it and do without a full wage, but go back part-time and be out of the house when the kids were out of the house, or take them with me. Find a job I could take them with me, and be home when they came home. This way, it would be a minimal help, but it would be a help. And in my case, that's what God said to do. And so I started a nursery school, and I took my two little ones with me, to that nursery school. They never would have had a nursery school experience, preschool experience. We couldn't have afforded it if I hadn't done that. And so God provided them with a good experience. We started with one child and ended up with 200. And the money from that provided all the money that we needed for the youth work. I worked for nothing. I didn't take a wage out of it. And yet the benefits of what I was able to do were there. The children got the education that I didn't have the money to provide for them. The ministry was blessed because this was providing money for the drug work and for the kids' work and I could be home when my eldest child came home. Now, that is not to say that's how you're to do it. God will show you a way and he will give you prudent thought of how to do it so that you're keeping an eye on those little thermometers and you're seeing what is prudent and right. And you have to ask yourself, well, will the benefits that I get if I go back to work? What will they really give us in hard currency and in hard benefit? And is it worth it to stop doing this in order to achieve that? So a lot of careful thought needs to go into it. As you do that, God will bless you and you will open your arms to the poor. And during those nursery school years, I'm thinking those nine years I worked in that nursery school, nine years. It's wonderful. And as the kids grew through it, of course, and went to school, I continued and developed it. And we developed it in the afternoon and the whole day and all of that. But the parents that came to Christ, we'd put on these little Christian plays and and I did it with two and five-year-olds. We even had the 5 year olds singing away in the manger as Mary, I remember. I've got a photo, I was looking at it the other day. And all the parents would crowd in and then I would insist that they helped. They had to be on a rotor if their child was there. And that gave me personal contact, gave the other Christian teachers personal contact. And I cannot tell you the women that came to Christ and the families that came to Christ because God gave me a heart and he helped me sort it out so that I didn't overload. And he helped me be queen of his heart as I did it and gave me his heart for my world And in a sense, in a small sense, my life became a living pulpit out of which Jesus addressed the crowd of my shore, which was the parents of that nursery school. Let's pray together. Lord, as we try to stretch out our hands to the poor and reach forth our hands to the needy, we think not only of the poorest of the poor and our social conscience that needs to be stirred up, but we think of the poor spiritually, of those that don't know God, and we think of those that we could be in touch with because of the work that you give us to do. And many, many of us, Lord, are working part-time, and this gives us an opportunity. And Many of us are thinking of going back more or full-time. Lord, as we consider these things with you, with our husbands and with our families, May we be prudent, and that wisdom, that prudence comes from God Himself. There is no way of knowing. You alone know us. You made us. You know if we're going to overload. You know if it's going to be worth it. You know. And Lord, thank you that you know. And thank you that we can be free from other people's expectations and we can find out your will for our lives. And help us to keep an eye on our households, to manage the responsibilities you have given us. This woman managed hers, so that she excelled, so that her works brought her honor at the gates of the city. Help us to be a Proverbs 31 woman in this regard. And specifically, we pray for the people we are in touch with, that you will give us a heart for their dire dilemma because they do not know God, and they're heading in the opposite direction. And use us in their lives. May they never get to heaven when they die and hear God say, depart from me, I never knew you, and go to the other place, but not before they say to us, you never, ever told me. How could you do that? You never, ever told me. Lord, may none of our friends ever say that. And we pray that we may see many of them come into the kingdom. We ask it for God's sake, for Christ's sake, for his kingdom's sake, for their sake. Amen.